So, as many of you are aware, I did an episode recently called uh, Ice Baths Are Probably A Waste Of Your Time. If you missed that one, I encourage you to check it out. There is unfortunately a lot of wishful thinking and a lot of BS floating around out there surrounding ice baths and cold plunge. Uh, however, the story seems to be the opposite for sauna. Uh, in these uh, dogmatic tribal times, everyone picks their tribe, everyone chooses their loyalties, and it does seem to be ice baths versus saunas at the moment. Uh, so, being a PT at my gym, I often find myself interrogated in the sauna by other members about something that they might have heard about the sauna, whether or not it's true. And at this point I'm usually reminded of Bones from Star Trek. Damn it man, I'm a PT, not a sauna scientist. Hopefully you get the reference there. So in today's episode I will be hoping to remedy this problem of uh, being interrogated on a million and one things to do with sauna. Well, maybe not a million and one things, because we've got a limited amount of time today. Uh, but the biggest things I will be looking at today, uh, typical questions that I get, is it good for muscle growth? Is sauna good for fat loss? Does it help with high blood pressure? And are there dangers to sauna? So stick around in today's episode, I'll be covering all of these as always scientific studies and papers to back up my claims are all in the show notes. So there's one big thing when it comes to sauna that happens uh, where all of the other good things kind of branch out from that one thing and that is the increased blood flow response to the high temperature. Uh, as I say, this creates a great many happy conclusions in the body. In a session, anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes, the heart rate typically pumps up to around 120 BPM. So we have this controlled environment that we can leave at any time, that essentially dilates veins and arteries. And in the long term, it also creates a greater elasticity in those veins and arteries. So it goes without saying, regular sauna is very helpful for those with high blood pressure and even hypertension, deep state blood pressure for those who don't maybe don't know. Although, that being said, it is not the be all and end all when it comes to blood pressure. Just to be a little controversial here, in my research I did find an article from the Mayo Clinic that points out how we don't actually have any hard data on long-term outcomes for high blood pressure individuals. Right now, it appears to be a salve on the wound rather than a complete fix. In other words, we know that sauna reduces the odds of bad cardiovascular outcomes, but we have yet to see a study that proves it altogether eliminates them over the term of something like 10, 20 years. What we do know with a little bit more rigidity, however, is that this increased blood flow through the body has fantastic outcomes for the brain. It's been shown to reduce risk of dementia, stroke, Alzheimer's, and pretty much any other neurodegenerative disease you can come up with. Should such conditions be inevitable in those liable to have them, sauna at least seems to put them off for a number of years, when sauna is being done, say, four, five, 
six times a week. And so for all of the reasons discussed so far, a lot of the studies I encountered actually highly recommended sauna to people who are in positions of high stress at work. So long-term stress, let's say you know, you're, you're working a very high stress job for 40, 50 years, the cumulative deleterious effects on the body and mind from all of that stress can add up to some really bad news. And so over the course of that career slash job being in a really high stress position, uh, offsetting blood pressure problems and increasing uh, favorable metabolic effects by using sauna is generally a very good idea. Let's move on now to muscle growth. Here, positive effects on muscle growth are a bit less direct. That is to say, sauna in and of itself is not uh, conducive to muscle growth. Much like the cold plunge, it has post-exercise muscle soreness benefits. It does reduce inflammation. But as we learned in the cold plunge episode, we kind of need that inflammation. We need that pain to signal to the body to build back and to grow. So physical recovery gets a thumbs up, but not so much when muscle growth itself is concerned. In other studies and research papers that I looked into, there were arguments to be made, however, on the improved mood and the greater sense of readiness to lift. And so that may have a small benefit on lifting progression, ergo muscle growth as a result. Although personally, I would say to make an argument for muscle growth at that point, you're kind of clutching at straws a little bit. And then we have fat loss. Now, listeners of today's episode may find the answer a little bit disappointing. And again, like I mentioned earlier on in today's episode, paper after paper that I reviewed wanted to make abundantly clear that not enough adequately controlled studies with a suitably randomized cohort of enough individuals has actually taken place yet for us to make definitive conclusions on such things. Though I can report from these studies, dare I say, the obvious the saw it a mile away kind of obvious. At least this is how it was for me. And that relates to water loss. Now, it's been a while since we've been back here on this subject on the podcast. That is the difference between weight loss and fat loss. This was one of my earliest episodes. You may want to check it out right down near the bottom of the list. It's likely to be. Now, I've always said with fat loss clients that the initial water loss is the fun part of a successfully initiated fat loss journey. Because the total weight loss is visually measurable, you can see the change between four and six kilos for some people. And so visually, this provides some quick wins from the outset. This initial quick visual win can also be offset by inactivity and an overconsumption of carbs. Not because carbs are bad, but because they're water retainers. So if you are someone who cannot control for these things, and you have this combination of inactivity and an overconsumption of carbs, prime example, someone who works from home perhaps, uh, sauna can be used to uh, offset this problem and get you back in that fun water loss kind of game. It can be used as a water loss insurance in a way. But this also leads me on to the dangers of sauna. 
you are kind of flirting with the danger zone now, uh, it is recommended that adequate rehydration takes place during sauna sessions, or else you're risking hypothermia, or at least serious dehydration due to all of the water that your body is pushing out. Now, as far as dangers go, uh, risks with sauna, the dehydration element, the hypothermia element, is in all honesty all I was able to dig up. And so our dangers section on this subject is very brief. But speaking of digging into research, uh, while I was uh, looking around the vastness of the internet uh, to try and find accurate scientific information for you guys, I saw all sorts of headlines on research papers um, and studies that we don't have time to get into today. But, you know, these things included uh, benefits to joint health, uh, healing capacity with skin conditions like psoriasis, uh, the effects of sauna on pregnant women. In short, I've covered the most commonly asked questions today around sauna. Though, of all of the resources available out there, it certainly looks like we've just explored the tip of the iceberg today. So, if you want to know more and niche down even further into effects and benefits of sauna, I strongly suggest you type in the word PubMed on Google, followed by sauna pregnancy or PubMed sauna skin, right? Uh, if you're prepared to sit down and read some fairly dense literature <laughs> then the information is out there um, so altogether the cold plunge data seems to be fairly limited i kind of get the impression that few sports scientists want to bother with it given the damning evidence that's already in circulation and it seems like there's a ton of studies praising all of the good outcomes that result from increasing blood flow from sauna it certainly appears that that increased blood flow has led to a great many more nuanced discussions uh, that are worth exploring for different demographics, different people. So in the notes for today's episode, as always, guys, links to studies mentioned are all below. But in light of all of this extra stuff that's floating around in there, if you're really interested, I've thrown in some that we didn't actually discuss today as well. If you made it this far in today's episode, thanks so much for tuning in, sticking around. Hit that alarm bell on Spotify so you can catch me on the next one when it comes out and share the podcast with anyone you know who is interested in totally bullshit-free science-backed fitness information. I'll see you on the next one, guys.